Richard, you are a good man, but I am evil. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Hoovian Review. I'm Michael. I'm Shelby. Colin is my name. And I'm a guest, Jeremy. And tonight we're going to dive into Silver Nemesis, the third story from season 25. And it actually happens to come right after the Happiness Patrol. Indeed. Let's start off in South America, why don't we? For no reason. <laughs> exactly. We did no, start. No, there's a great, there's a great jazz opportunity there. No, the jazz was <laughs> jazz was in England. England. Oh, <laughs> and and they didn't even put Argentina. They just put generic South America. Like, what was that? Yeah, let's talk about because they, they couldn't come up with the actual place. Drew a bow and it was threatening to to kill. What was it? I, a, a parrot. A, a parrot. parrot. Yeah. And then cut to I guess like three hundred years earlier, where it was instead a pigeon. <laughs> These they had to de-evolve the parrot, I guess. I guess, yeah. There is a lot... Okay, first and foremost, I will have to say this about this story. If you take Remembrance of the Daleks, basically a stellar manipulator is launched into space to destroy the Daleks, you get the exact same plot line. You've got the nemesis that's launched into space to destroy the Cybermen. No, 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 I don't think that's fair, because Remembrance of the Daleks was good. <laughs> <laughs> Remembrance of the Daleks is much better than this. Yeah, it's but, what we, we kept hearing, you know, during when we were watching this episode. Oh, it probably should have been the anniversary episode and not this one. Wow. Yeah, the, I think the problem with this one is that they just were way too... Um, they, they were overreaching what their potential could be. They threw too much into it. You've got Nazis. You've got Cybermen. You've got Lady Painforce. You've got jazz singers. You've got skinhead Nazis. You've got all sorts of... And none of it really made a whole lot of sense. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I, I like Michael's comment earlier. It's like a Chibnall episode here. <laughs> there, there are too many cooks in the kitchen, too many you know, attempts to throw you know, mud on the wall to see what sticks in terms of random elements of interest. And the overall reveal of there being the Cybermen is like apparently they saved Ace for for some reasons. Like that wasn't really explained all too very well. It's like yeah, and honestly, like I know um, Cybermen are supposed to be creatures of reason, but typically you can never reason with them. But these Cybermen, <laughs> compared to my modern day Cybermen, yeah. it seems like you could say like. Hey man, wait a moment. Let's have a conversation about this, <laughs> <laughs> and they would hear you out to some degree. Oh, and apparently right before betraying you, but it's like, well, well, maybe, maybe, maybe uh, we should just like pause the war here and, and listen to this guy's story. And, and how about this one? Oh, I'm a Cyberman. I don't really care about the secrets of Gallifrey and Time Lord. That is of no consequence to me. I won't even <laughs> justify that by listening. <laughs> 
<laughs> okay, let's put it this way. This is probably the weakest Cyberman story in the history of the show. The Cybermen do not really even need to be in this story. Um, but if Why were those guys shooting at the Doctrinate? Like, why were they shot off the bridge? I don't think that was ever explained. Okay, yeah, we need to go back to the beginning. Uh, they're we, evil. A lot. It was established that they were evil people, so they just do evil <laughs> things to random people. Well, we do know... they could have walked by, they would have shot at the bridge. We know that they were the Cybermen's henchmen, so it's probable that the Cybermen had left them there so that they could take out the Doctor, but how in the world did the Cybermen know that the Doctor and Ace were going to be there in the first place is unexplained. Another thing is DeFlores and Carl, the, the Nazis, their characters were so unetched out. How do they know all these things about Lady Painforth and and the yeah? Why are they involved at all? What? Well, <laughs> it's not because because a lot of a lot of Nazis <laughs> fled to Argentina after World War II ended, so they wouldn't be persecuted. But they're persecuted. But then it you know begs the question: Why do they all have German accents? <laughs> but my question also stands, or the, the biggest question is: what, Where's the backstory? What? Why do these people have all these things, and where did they come from, and how do they get them? Nothing is explained. It's like they were jumping from scene to scene. This is a great moment for the TARDIS to appear in many scenes, dematerializing and rematerializing, but. It's so many jumps from one place to another for no, and then we just end up in the middle of Windsor Castle, and there's Queen Elizabeth. Yeah, it seems like there, mu- it, like this must be like one of those series where there's a lot left on the cutting room floor yeah. before this actually came into production. I know why they spent half their budget on all that gold that just sneezed towards the side yeah. and killing and, them, and the other half on those explosions. And once you have the explosions, you need to like, well, we already used it in the Nazi element. We already used it yeah. in the Cybermen. <laughs> Wait, this lizard is hiding. What if my enemies also thought to hide? Oh, okay. <laughs> hey, hey, if you're out shooting in nature for a good period and then you catch a lizard, you got to use it. You got to weave it in the story <laughs> And then somehow we just have someone from somewhere in Mississippi show up in the middle of England. And she was retracing her roots. Yeah, exactly. It, I mean, it's a rich family history. Dolores Gray is a famous American actress. At that time, she was somewhat famous, but she's completely just thrown in just because she's a celebrity. I don't think there's any rhyme or reason. Uh, for honestly, the honestly um, you know, I, I think it's for entertainment purposes. Just like you had put a clip of the lizard in there, it's just for straight entertainment. And this was one of my favorite scenes in the episode. We get her. Ripping with, uh, you know, the, the people from the 1600s. Well, you've got Lady Painfort goes completely mad at this point. She's just like, oh, my God, I've got to have power. I'm going to have destiny. This is all mine. I swear. And it's like, And Dolores is like, oh, it will be yours, honey. <laughs> <laughs> and, this is, and this is what Doctor Who turned out to be. I mean, this is the most un-Doctor Who-ish Doctor Who episode I think I can remember. Also, like, I know that there's a lot in Doctor Who of, like, a ignoring clothing from different time periods but just like when they're bringing these people from the 1700s in into here and this lady's just like oh yeah I'll pick them up whatever they're just ordinary <laughs> folks and then like those other dudes are all like oh you must be social workers why why must they be social workers <laughs> uh, uh, yeah that's interesting dress for a social worker yeah. uh, I, I mean Let's let's think of some good points. I will say that the jazz 
the the jazz music thrown in was actually one of the highlights for me because the cyber, seeing the Cybermen actually trying to be like, what the heck is this that we're listening to, and and having the jazz musicians at the beginning, that was kind of cool. And seeing Ace kind of get with her roots and and she wants to go get her tape signed and that kind of thing. She, it's a more teenaged. Um, part uh, it was more like a true teenager, but also you've got a good combination of the Doctor and Ace. They they do have chemistry in this episode, and I think that is something that only Sylvester McCoy and Sophie Aldrin could bring. Although they did have that one scene where she's just like, "I'm really scared, Doctor. I'm terrified." And he's like, "I'm gonna go back to the TARDIS." She's like, "No, I will press on." And then like it's never addressed again, and nothing else that she does like indicates the fear. Like it was like, "Why is that there?" Well, that was the most. <laughs> that was probably the most. <laughs> it's the most cringeworthy Ace moment of all because it doesn't make any sense. Not to mention all the times that people were trying to shoot people point blank and missed by like a mile uh, a line of shots then the doctor and ace apparently jump into the river with two men chasing after them and being like ha 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 they must have disappeared Uh, and then, of course, later on, I think the Cybermen only really kill, like, what, one or two people the entire time? I swear, like... I mean, Ace might have killed more people. These are some incompetent Cybermen. <laughs> Very much so. Yeah. And they had weird voices. Yeah, like, I, 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 honestly, this is an episode yeah, they did. where I see the Cybermen, and, you know, it really inspires next to no fear. I mean, not only are they a weak physical threat, seemingly, against most of those that they come up against. I mean, yeah, okay, we can't be killed by guns, you know, but this guy just, like, sprinkles some dust and more or less blows in his face, like, achoo, you know, and and he's totally incapacitated, and Ace is just coming around with slingshots around the corner, and these guys, like, you know, just studying whatever is going to come around that Ben just completely miss. You know, it's, it's worse than all those guys in Star Wars. And, <laughs> and it's a shame because in the last Cybermen story, which we haven't even rated yet, which is Attack of the Cybermen, the Cybermen are, are brutal. I mean, they literally take somebody's hands and squeezes the blood straight out of their hands. I mean, that's how brutal they are. They, 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 do, they do actually have some effectiveness in the, in the previous story. And in the Five Doctors, they just get completely destroyed. Yeah, and to me, what's like the scariest part about the Cybermen is like the psychological aspect of like, you will be upgraded, we will take you over. That had n- no highlight at all of this episode. Well, they you know, did they mention have, it briefly, but it wasn't slightly, But there's there's more o- opportunities where the Cybermen are just like, oh, yes, humans are useless, when pretty much all the other times like, oh, we need humans to create Cybermen. We need them. They're important for this. But meanwhile, towards the end, uh, the Doctor like is practically bumping fists with the Cybermen. Yeah. And then the Cyber leaders is like, oh, yeah, all the Cybermen died? That's, uh... Maybe I should kill you. Oh, who's that? Get stabbed by an arrow from a guy from like 30 feet away. Right. I feel like these Cybermen just came from a frat party. <laughs> I, I, all I'm going to say is that um, I think if they had thought this out or had time to think this out a little bit more, and they probably didn't spend as much money on Remembrance of the Daleks. I imagine they had the time, you know. They, they could have delayed yeah. They, I think they could have rewritten this so that it was a, a little bit tighter. I, th- it feels like to me this did not go through a script editor at all. Yeah, 
Yeah. You, you know what else I thought was was pretty bad? And I know this wasn't rain, but this was when the statue lady is standing up there looking like just this horrifying nightmare person and is just like, aren't I beautiful? And Ace is like, yeah, sure, whatever. And she's just like, it might shock you to know that I have actually before been horrified. And it's like, yeah, you're horrifying right now. <laughs> I... It, there's so many yeah, things. She was the weeping angel of, of the day. <laughs> yeah. God, they, they must have run run it through like Google Translate. That <laughs> it's like, uh, I found a new way to make money. We have a t- monkey and a typewriter. <laughs> yeah. The '80s version of Google Translate, horrible. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean. Oh man, yeah. This was uh, this was definitely a hodgepodge. I think one of one of the biggest problems I had, and this dates back to when I first saw this story back in 1989. When I think is when I saw this. Um, you saw I it saw, a year I was, late. Well, at that time, PBS was showing it. I think a year late because they because America was behind on Doctor Who. You want to hear um, something that's gonna make you feel really old? <laughs> the year you saw this episode was the year I was born. That doesn't make me feel old. <laughs> um, Would it but, make you feel old if I wasn't even born yet? It, no, it's fine. I, I mean, I was. <laughs> I wasn't exactly a, a, a very old person back then, so it's okay. <laughs> um, but at any rate, um, I think the the biggest problem I had with this was how Lady Painfort and Richard end up in 1988. It doesn't make sense that they use quote-unquote black magic with no rhyme or reason to explain what actually took place. It had something to do with the arrow. It had something to do with, with the arrow, but also with some a sort potion? of con- a potion oh, with, yeah. with human blood in it. It's like, seriously, they couldn't have come up with a better explanation? Like, literally anything else? <laughs> yeah, science fiction. Yeah, also they had, like, a limitless supply of golden-tipped arrows. Right, yeah, and, and didn't know that it was the gold that hurt the Cybermen. They thought it was the poison, so it was like, then why do you have these gold-tipped arrows? That's such a waste. <laughs> well, I don't know. She's Lady Painfort. She's, yeah. she's, she's rich. She's got some money. And for her, death is but a door. <laughs> Death is but a door. What, what a weird saying. Yeah. I mean, oh. yeah, weird episode. Also, apparently she designed her own grave for whatever Oh, no, no, rich rich people back in the day used to do that. Yeah, but, like, of, of course, naturally, she would need a door. No, no, that, that, that's, like, a religious symbology being, like, oh, you just step through the door to the afterlife. No, no. It's not really the end of life. You're just I know, he's talking about the secret like, passage Oh, the secret door. passageway? Yeah, literally oh. built a secret Well, you know, rich people get really paranoid. It actually, a lot of, like, old houses and, and stuff, like, had secret passageways and secret doors, so it's not that crazy. But, yeah, a little bit weird to do it in a crypt. Yeah, but so wouldn't that, like, because in... Way, way past, like in the name of the doctor, the one place you must never visit is your own grave because paradoxes and whatnot. So, yeah. did she remember all those events? So, when she got back, she like is like, Well, that's gonna happen, so maybe I should uh, lay things out this way. Well, this way. actually, she doesn't get back though, is the thing, and it sort of makes sense because her bones are never in there, which indicates she never travels back in time okay. to be buried. So I think that it was just she went missing. So they put a you know, the headstone on or whatever and had a commemorative funeral because she, you know, dies, I think, at the end of this episode. 
I, I think we've already touched on the writing of this episode as being poor, but I think the other part of it is that the direction was poor. You the had a lot was of poor. Well, I think that was the director's fault. I, I think the actors were doing a decent job. It's just that the timing was so weird. Well, the lady pain forth. Oh man, though. Yes, yeah, she yeah. heard that term pain. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, the music was that was not the jazz music was also extremely intrusive and had no and just was terrible. Um, if it wasn't just calm, like sort of weird synth noises, it was like a blasidious trumpet flare eighties uh, noises. Yeah, I could see that. Oh, we should probably rate this episode now that we've gone through a lot of. I do want to say I saw I thought that the holograph thing with the Earth and the cyber ships that was pretty cool. Oh, in the eighties on the, the uh, boombox. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Everybody likes the boombox except Sylvester McCoy. Literally, was not pressing any buttons, even though <laughs> he was trying to pretend he was. Yeah, that that's what where it went a little bit awry. What about his watch, that was kind of like a. Oh, his a watch digital. is cool. Yeah, his, di- his new digital fog watch. That was cool. You know, you know what? Actually, I really did like that aspect of this episode that the doctor had in the past set an alarm for himself <laughs> and then like forgot about it and missed like four. What well, <laughs> like, makes sense if like, you're like, nine hundred? Yeah, if you're tons of. I mean, he probably went off old. every twenty-five years. I, I don't know. I, I'm not sure how much alarms make sense when you are a time traveler. I mean, you just go to that time if it's really important enough. Yeah, to that's set an true. Alarm, you go and take care of it, right? Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. Well, I think it's the alarm is set off when he reaches that point in the history of Earth. Yeah, so he so, should go there. He should just go there and not like. Well, no, he did go there without realizing that why he was going there. Yeah, and just then as the, soon as you the set alarm. the alarm, he called instead, saying, instead of, of setting an alarm. alarm, you should just go to that point and take care of the important thing that's so important you set an alarm. <laughs> True, that makes yeah, some sense. Yeah, that is a good point. Knowledge, it's fresh in hand, you know what you're doing, you don't have to be like, let me think, what, what is well, dooming all of, all of the world or perhaps the universe in this moment? I'm maybe the explanation is that he knows... Because the doctor knows what is what needs to happen, maybe maybe the fact that this thing crashes into the Earth at in 1988, he has to allow that to happen before he can interfere. That could just be the logical explanation for that, and even though it's a stretch. Yeah, I, I guess you can you know build whatever box you want to to make it make sense. I mean, there's always something the most charitable, the MacGuffin. Um, yeah. So, Colin. How would you? How? What? What do you think? What, what do I think about this episode? Yep. Well, I I think we're largely on the same page here. I mean, uh, I I don't think this episode um, of the Whovian Review was centered around positivity <laughs> um, for this episode. If anything, this episode is our nemesis. <laughs> In a way. Uh, <laughs> how, pun, um, how punny. But, you know, that, and it, it, there were just too many elements. There's a lot of mess here, a lot of slop. Um, I, I don't know if I could call it a plot. I would, if, <laughs> if, if I did, I would critique it. Um, just like I can critique the acting, the directing. Um, you know, the, the jazz scene was nice. Um, but though it didn't make sense and fit, um, I did enjoy seeing a lizard. And I did enjoy... <laughs> Um, you know, the southern limousine ride, you know, compared to, you know, our, our ancient brethren who drink potions and run around with bows and arrows. 
Um, so there was some fun stuff here. You know, Cybermen were thrown in here kind of as a comical relief that I've never seen them be before um, in a less serious way. It does have its own entertainment value, um, but I also think juxtaposed, you know, right against the expectations that I imagine you must have in the 80s, seeing your anniversary, your major anniversary episode, and getting this. Um, (laughs) I I mean, it it must have been just even worse than, you know, how we're seeing and experiencing it today. Um, It's not great. It has some entertainment value of its own. I may be being generous here, um, but, you know, for me, I'm going to swath it over with a four out of ten. Okay. Well... If I have anything to chime in, it'd probably be that this episode was horrible. It ruined my day and made me nauseous. 9.5 out of 10. Okay. Oof. (laughs) You understand how the ratings work, right? (laughs) Reverse ratings, right? (laughs) So you're really making it a 0.5 out of 10. (laughs) Okay, so, well, what I I thought mostly of this episode, uh, because, you know, I haven't watched very much of this episode, Doctor, but this wasn't exactly the best impression in the world. Um, though I did have to say, it, it was considerably more entertaining um, just by its whimsical, nonsensical nature. Nothing made sense, and that just kind of made it fun to watch regardless. Like that one cult classic film that everyone watches, not because it's good, but because it's funny to watch and watch this ridiculously bad acting in some parts, or this sudden seriousness. Um, and that one lady that keeps repeating the same line, I will rule everything! It was like, uh, five seconds later, repeats it. I mean, that's just stuff that you can laugh and have fun for three episodes of Doctor Who. So, so, so what's your rating? Yeah, what's your actual rating? Fixed. It, it was fixed, 9.5 out of 10. Okay. Um, I mean, some, some horrible movies just have that rating just because of how they affect you. I mean, who can talk about the plot of Snakes on the Plane, but the hype of Snakes on the Plane, the feeling <laughs> that you have when you see that in the movie theaters on day one is like no other. No, that. man, you got to watch that on the, like, made-for-TV version. Get these monkey fighting snakes off this Monday to Friday plane. <laughs> Swear to God, that's that, one of the lines. You no, know, it's good. It still has entertainment value, almost because you're looking at itself. It's it's making fun of itself to some degree, just based on the level of it is. Right. I I can safely say for, for me, that. fortunately, I have never seen snakes on the plane. <laughs> it's not worth watching. <laughs> yeah, no, I didn't think so. Um, Alright, so Silver Nemesis. I granted it did make me laugh at various points. I did like it, you know, as much as it like made zero sense, the limo <laughs> ride was amusing. Um and but you know, I just this was it just this whole thing was just a hodgepodge. I could I I would give this a one. Wow. This was this was awful. <laughs> Okay, well, one's pushing it down a little bit further than I would give it, but I... I'm sorry, Mary Brady didn't meet your standards, Michael. <laughs> no, I'm just saying, I, I, I don't know if I could give it a one. I wasn't commenting on what you were doing. Yeah, sure, whatever. Yeah, you give it uh, half yeah. of a one, that's why I mean, I it was it a hard episode, but, you know, in and of itself, a spectacle is interesting. Yeah. 
This, this okay, fine. I will give it a one point five. For NPCs. for some people, this this is their guilty pleasure in Doctor Who. For me, it's a disappointment and absolutely um, atrocious. Try if I were to try and show this off as an actual Doctor Who episode to someone for the first time, I think this would be a very bad jumping on point for any new Who fan. Um, with that said. There are some aspects of it that that are entertaining and that we obviously do laugh at. Um, I don't know if we laugh at it for the right reasons, but <laughs> we definitely laugh at it. Um, we, um, I also, uh, I commend Sylvester McCoy and Sophie Aldred because they do have chemistry, and that's probably the only redeeming quality within this particular story, if it can be called that. It seems like a much of many episodes all in one. Um, I'm going to give this a 2.5 out of 10. It does not deserve anything higher. Mm. All right. Well, you heard it here first, folks. Interesting. So we've got a very wide range of lo- of, of ratings. Yeah. Indeed. So, uh, and honestly, you know, uh, based on them, you know, if we're not counting pure, you know, entertainment value and, you know, some the self-deprecation... You know, factor as well. It seems like it's not only you know that they've heard it first here. That probably not going to. It's probably that they're going to hear it last as well. I don't think there's a lot of <laughs> revisitation worth. Um, you know, in this episode. Um, so maybe you will want to dive in and hear everybody else's opinions. But you know, I I don't think you need to go further. I I think it's been settled. This is one of our lowest rated stories. <laughs> the average between the. Four of us is only four point two five, and that's like heavily skewed by Jeremy. <laughs> yeah, I think if Jeremy actually rated this to uh, more realistically, yeah, we'd probably be down there. Also, just wanted to point out on this one, I thought it was came off kind of cheap that they were like, "Oh yes, every twenty five years, this causes a major catastrophe, like World War One, World War Two. And the Kennedy assassination. <laughs> <laughs> Two very huge events and one slightly okay. Yeah, I mean, it was a big event. I mean, yeah, it was a big event for a lot of people. It was a big but event, but it wasn't like millions of people dying every day. They just didn't want to say the start of Doctor Who. So yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, but also I think the significance is that Kennedy was, was assassinated the day the day before Doctor Who was to air, and it aired literally right after that. But nobody watched it because they were all concentrating on Kennedy. So that's probably why they threw it in. Yeah, but I mean, like you know, they didn't have to line it up like that. <laughs> probably not. Any rate, we hope you enjoyed this episode as much as we had fun creating it. Bye, everyone. Peace. Bye. Bye.